Derek and Eileen Severs were described as pillars of their community. They were wealthy in their 60s and enjoying the life that they built for themselves. Now retired, they could have never guessed that one of their biggest worries would soon put an end to that happiness. We are your hosts, Sherry Ferreira and Helen Allen. This is The Chalk Line. Good evening, everyone, and the highlights of the news this Thursday. Derek Severs was 68, he stood around six foot tall, and he was a retired executive at ICI, which stands for Imperial Chemical Industries, and basically it was a huge business back in the day, so he really made a good living for himself. Nice. Yeah. He lives with his wife, Eileen, who is 69, in Leicestershire, <laughs> so if you can't guess, it's in England, in oh, a small village. international case. Yeah, I, our first. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, they lived in this small village of Hambleton, and their home overlooked Rutland Waters, which is surrounded by some woods and was really popular for people to vacation there. So they had a really good view, to say the least. Yeah, it sounds amazing. Yeah, and Eileen was super into charity and just really wanted to better the world around her. She actually was awarded an MBE for her charity work, so she was well known within the community to always help others, and just be an overall good person. Wow, I We love, love Eileen, exactly. We love Eileen. They had been living at their home for 20 years, and it was also known as the bungalow. Okay. Area. Sounds yeah. bougie. Very. <laughs> very. Um, and they were both just very well known and liked by their community. They had a son named Roger, who was 37 around the time of this case, He had a public school education, and his parents were renting him a flat and spent thousands of dollars settling his debts. Or thousands of pounds, I should say. I don't want to jump to conclusions, because obviously I've known this case for about mm, two minutes. Okay. But it sounds like they are sort of spoiling him. It sounds like, like he... I mean, they're currently renting him a flat, and he's 37 years old. I know things are culturally a little different in England, but it's still very normal to rent your own damn flat by 37. Yeah, very much that. They were really supporting him financially. Okay. He had a few jobs, but he wasn't really good at keeping them. He was a barman, crop sprayer, and ironmonger's shop assistant. So sounds like very England because none of those (laughs) sounds like things you could do. In Connecticut, at least. Yeah, at least where we're from. Like, I'm like, barman, okay, does that mean a bartender? And then I'm like, crop sprayer, okay, no, mm, uh, I mean, it sounds like Farmville to me, but whatever. Yeah, <laughs> for this, his relationship with his parents, as you can imagine, was a little strained, to say the least. Right, they were probably tired of carrying his Yeah. for life. For life, at this point. Now, it's now been almost 40 years, and they're like, all right, dude, you're like, uh, we get it. Crop spraying, maybe not ideal for you. Yeah. Barman, totally get it. But when you were an ironmonger's shop, shop assistant, assistant. <laughs> couldn't you hold it down? Yeah, he couldn't. And you could imagine his dad being a successful businessman and already retired at 68, which I feel is pretty rare. I mean, at least for me, my dad's still working and he's like 70, but you can imagine he's like... Yeah, so there, I mean, his dad is probably like, okay, I'm kind of done with this. Like... Exactly. Would really like to just 
not have to support you. So besides not holding down a job, <laughs> Roger filled those Lonely Hearts ad that they had back in the day. Do you remember those? So no, I don't personally remember them but, because I was 85 <laughs> in 2001. But but heard about them actually, from other what cases, year does right? This take place 1993. Okay, even earlier. <laughs> I wasn't even born yet, but yeah. Okay, so I mean, I know of them, and I yeah, definitely tons of cases. Lonely Hearts ads are never something you want to answer ever. Basically, just as lonely as you may be, at least you're not dead. Yeah, it's basically just single people filling out little. Tinder profiles is the best way I can describe it in newspapers. And in these profiles, he claimed that he was a businessman, a hospital consultant, and a gynecologist. Oh my god, tell me he doesn't dress up in a doctor's suit and, like, kill people. Um, no. Not in a suit. (laughs) Roger had a couple of relationships, and this last one being the most significant. He met a woman who owned a hotel, and he helped run it. And they were dating. She eventually got pregnant and gave birth to their kid. So did I judge Roger too soon? Like, is he picking up his life? I mean, that's what we thought. But no, not even a little bit. Who's we? You and the parents? Yeah. (laughs) Me me and Derek and Haley were so hopeful. We had tea and crumpets. (laughs) And they told me they were so excited. But as it turns out, through all that time, Roger had actually been stealing from her. And by the time they ended things, he had left her thousands of pounds in debt. Oh my god, he is a wrecking ball. The worst, the worst. Between each failed relationship, he had and he would return to mooch off his parents. And this time they said unless he repaired his relationship with the mother of their grandchild, Mm -hmm. that they wouldn't give him another cent, they wouldn't support him, and they would just leave everything that they own to their grandchild. Oh, wow. What a power move. Right? Right? What a power move. A power move. I was like, good. Yeah, here's the money. You can't have it until you do what we want you to do. It's almost like ransom, but totally legal. Yeah. And totally merited. (laughs) Yeah. Given circumstances. Now, in response to that, Roger faked his own suicide, hoping that it would make them change their minds. Wait, what do you mean when you say he faked his own suicide? He pretended to commit suicide, hoping that okay. would gain some sort of sympathy, but they still denied him any access to their money or any help. Yeah, I mean, if I were them, I'd be like, okay, listen, hmm, that didn't work. Mm-hmm. We are no fools. <laughs> Not Derek and Eileen. Not no. Derek and Eileen. Eileen gives to charity. She's like, I will literally donate to every suicide foundation in the country just in spite of you because you are not suicidal. You're just a baby. Literally. I mean, yeah. Am I allowed to say that? Yeah, you're allowed to say that. Okay, because here's the thing. Like, all for somebody that needs the help. But if he's just like, I want money. I'm going to pretend to commit suicide. It's like, first of all, don't put that stress on your parents who raised you and pay you so much money to live. And second of all... There are people who are actually having mental, mental health issues. Exactly. Like all the things that need the help and you are just crying wolf over here. Trying to manipulate just, your own parents. Yeah. And your mother and that who's... that is why people aren't super like readily helping people who have suicidal thoughts because everyone's like, are they really going to do it? Exactly. So it's That's just contributing up. to that That's so messed so up messed narrative. Up. Exactly. All this brings us to the night of November 18th. It had been a week that no one had heard or seen Derek or Eileen. 
Derek had last been seen having a few beers at his local pub, and he left there around 3.30. In the afternoon? Yes. Okay. And Eileen was last seen around noon that same day, leaving a church after attending a charity event, of course, because that's Eileen. How that was her last spot that she was at. So fitting. I just can't. I love Eileen. And all this is strange because they had made appointments in the village to go and take care of certain things, and they hadn't contacted any friends during this time. Okay. Were they normally, like, the type of people who would, like, stay in touch with friends? Oh, 100%. Okay. Always. So their friends called police to report them missing, and they went to go check on them. And their friends told police that they would not leave without telling someone and they were just always keeping in contact with them. Yeah, I mean, I think that, like, with age, too, because you never know. I mean, they're so young. Like, he's only in his 60s. How old is Eileen? I don't... 69. Yeah, so they're in their 60s, so it's not like they're old, but... I think at their age, it's very normal, like, if you're going on a trip to, like, let people know so that, God forbid, something happened to you, you fall down, anything. Like, exactly. people are aware that, like, they can help you if, if you don't get back to them soon enough. You yeah, know? you're more friends with the people, especially your neighbors. Yeah, so they would like know you something said, they were up. pillars of the community. People exactly. will notice. So this was definitely strange for them. And during their initial search that night, they didn't find anything suspicious. Okay. Roger answered the door. He said that they were away on a trip. So Roger's living in the house? Yes, he's still living at the house. I thought they were getting him rent at the apartment. So now he's living at their house. Yeah, so he moved back because he couldn't hold that down either. Right. So I assume they, like, cut him off because he wasn't making amends with the wife. So he had to move in with them. Exactly. And after talking to their close friends, because they didn't really find anything at this first search, Mm -hmm. they decided to go back and look at the home again because they were so adamant that they wouldn't leave. This is not right. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Something is definitely up. And when they went to go look a second time, they did it during the daytime. So it was bright. Evidence was all about. So before it was at night that they checked? Yes. Interesting move. Right. But, you know, I mean, I'm just used to, like, in the U.S., when, like, someone is reported missing, they're like, give it a few days. Maybe they'll turn up. Oh, yeah, but they're like, that same night, okay, we'll but go England, and at least they're check. they're like, no, we care about people. I'm going to check <laughs> <Yeah>. immediately. <laughs> so different. Yeah, it's refreshing. So what they found at the home was a mountain of evidence. That's the best way I could describe it. Wow. There was blood in the bathroom and garage of the home. And based off the splatters of the blood stains, the experts that they called in could tell that a vicious attack happened. Oh, my God. Yeah. So they were going all out and they called in forensic analysts to come in because they really wanted to find out Good. what went on. Wow. It was clear from the blood splatters that someone had tried to clean it up, but not successfully. I mean, I think even if it is successfully, there is a way to tell if it's like there's been bleach like you can see bleach residue so i think just that alone it's like clearly you don't just like bleach your floors every yeah and or even like bleach over blood like they can tell if it's bleach over they know something sus is going on hello what's up now they did find trails of blood and yellow fibers that led outside to Derek's car but the forensic files episode that I watched said that they found green fibers, but mm. in every other source I found, they said it was yellow. So we're just going to go with yellow. They were yellow. They were yellow. 
Never heard of green. And at first glance, you could tell the car was used to drive somewhere off-road because it was covered in mud. I'm sorry. I don't mean to laugh, but like, here's the deal. You go somewhere to bury a body or to hide something that you don't want found and you go through like this mucky area. Don't you think like, hey, maybe I should get a car wash after? Oh, you would think you would do it too. That's (laughs) what I would do. After looking inside the car, they find even more mud and yellow fibers. Okay. And they even find fibers on a pair of Roger's pants. Okay. Lock them up. Yeah. (laughs) No, we can't yet. No. We can't. We should, right? We should, but we can't. (laughs) This was crucial to the investigation because they could not find where it came from and it didn't look to belong to anything in the home, which led investigators to believe that something had been removed from the home. Like, where did these fibers come Mm, from? Kind of reminds me of the Helicrafts episode. Exactly. A little callback of sorts. Uh, a little callback of <laughs> sorts. Yeah, but literally Richard Crafts. Yeah. He, like, gets the carpet removed mm-hmm. right after he murders someone. Because guess what? There's blood all over it. So they have to clean it. Something suspicious is going on. Are we detectives? Maybe. I don't know. Armchair at best. But. but. <laughs> detectives nonetheless. Yeah. They took samples from inside the car and from the wheels because the dirt on it was a slightly lighter shade than normal dirt would be that's found on streets and roads. So they were on it. Yes, absolutely. Lighter? Lighter in color. Because normal... Like from a beach? A beach, or they were thinking initially from a wooded area. What? Yes. You think the the dirt would be darker? You would, but they made it a point to say that this dirt does not look like any dirt that would be on a street or a road. I mean, I... I am no dirtologist, but... <laughs> Not a dirtologist. <laughs> I mean, don't you think, like, woods are dark? Dirt should be dark. Yeah, when I was initially researching the case, I was like, are you sure? Because it does seem like it would have been darker. After doing this search, the police definitely suspected something. Foul play. Something bad happened in this home and someone is trying to cover it. Yeah. And I would imagine the first thing they do is go knock, knock, knocking on Roger's door. And knock, knock, they did. Knock, knock, they did. Thank you. And he claims that his parents were going on a trip to London and used the train. Okay, show me the ticket. Show me the footage. Where's the footage? Where's the train stub? We... And that's what they go after. Got it. So... They looked through the home and they don't see any evidence that they had left for a trip. I mean, all their clothes were still there. It didn't look like anything was gone that they would normally need for a trip. Mm -hmm. The police went to go check that same train station that Roger claimed they used. And there was no evidence of them going there, buying a ticket, or even arriving to London. Because Roger's lying. (laughs) I don't... (laughs) Spoiler alert. Never heard this case, but I know Roger's lying. And that's exactly... I hope I'm not wrong. (laughs) No, you actually... It's a good segue because with all this mounting evidence, Roger is their only suspect. Cool. He's the only one that appears to have motive. (laughs) After listening to their friends and hearing about Roger and his story, so they arrest him. Especially since because everyone around them, all of their friends, everyone in the community were worried about them, except for Roger. And everybody's like, Roger's a deadbeat. Check into him. Mm-hmm. Literally. 
They arrest Roger two days later. And after arresting him, they do a more thorough investigation of the home. Mm -hmm. Listen to this. There was a hole in the backyard as if someone was digging and removing dirt from it. Like excavating. Can't you believe he is committing the murder of his life and dirt is what brings him down. Another suspicious thing that they found was there had been a recent fire in the garden. Okay. I'm interested. They looked in the backyard near that disturbed dirt where the fire was, and they weren't able to find any bones because at this point they're figuring something sinister did happen and that they were more than likely looking for two dead bodies, unfortunately. Right. As they're looking around the area where the fire was, they discovered small pieces of clothing and yellow carpet in the ashes. So they look through the home again and they see that the carpet from the kitchen was mm. removed. So that's what Bingo. they're assuming was burned. As they're doing this, the findings from the sample they took, you remember from the car with the mud, right. turns up. Okay. And they call in a geologist named Tony Brown to analyze the mud that they found. The results show a variety of different material. Let's get into it. Okay. The organic matter showed two dozen varieties of plant life. So different grasses, oak, alder, and hawthorn leaves and moss. Okay. The expert, Tony Brown, says you would expect to find such a combination of trees in woods, but the sample included one key type of pollen that came from a horse chestnut tree. All right. And that's the only place it could have come from. Got it. Okay. What's also very interesting about this is that this type of pollen is very thin and does not travel very far. So if it was found on the tire, the car would have had to have been parked directly under or near it, mixed with some mud, and stuck onto the car and like gotten all underneath the carriage as it drove away. Through this, they were able to lead police to an unmade up road in the East Leicestershire region. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow. I know forensic experts blow my mind every time. They really do. Because I'm like, you're finding this from mud, dirt, and water. What I used to make potions. They call in naturalists who are able to narrow down the origins of the mud to two areas of woodland in that East Leicestershire region. Okay. The presence of a little piece of fishing line was also found in the mud, so it gave them an even more specific location of where they wanted to look. And it also indicated to them that the bodies were likely located close to the water's edge. Interesting. And they looked at the wooded area called Armley Wood. Okay. They looked at this area on December 1st, so just 13 days after friends reported Derek and Eileen missing. Okay. And this area was also very close to their home. If you remember, Rutland Waters was a huge lake right. that's thought to have been yeah, near where they like were murdered. that's kind of like exactly where my brain went. I was like, oh, dude, it was near water. Exactly. So it was right around that area. And it was here that an officer discovered a disturbed patch of dirt with some broken branches Not around it. Not the dirt it. again. Oh, well, we're going to get into this dirt. The dirt is going to put Roger away. <laughs> away. It does, ultimately. And after closer inspection, they discover Derek and Eileen's bodies buried right underneath. It was clear just from looking at them that they had been savagely attacked. I mean, both of their heads were 
bashed in and you could tell something gruesome happened. Eileen was wrapped in a yellow blanket, which explains the trail of yellow fibers found at the bungalow and where the kitchen carpet went. Exactly. And the soil put on top of the bodies matched the same soil used in their garden. Okay. Whoa, whoa, whoa. He was just, like, digging up soil in his garden to bring to this I guess area he thought to cover that, them? I guess that he thought he could throw them off or something because he later admits to having made multiple trips back to get the soil from the garden this and f- bodies. An idiot. Why wouldn't he do it from somewhere that's not his own house? Like, okay. In this world where he's like, let me kill my parents and let me delete the evidence. Yes. He buries his parents and he needs to cover them with dirt. He's like, oh, I took my parents so far away so the bodies cannot be found at my house. But guess what? I'm going to bring the dirt from my house and I'm going to bring it to the bodies. And hello, a connection. Why? I honestly... Why wouldn't he be like, let me go 10 feet away, dig a hole, put the dirt from that on the bodies? I can only attribute it to him being the biggest idiot that's walked England. He's an absolute moron. That's it. And... What's even more idiotic, you're going to love this. Just wait. Hold on. (sighs) Breathe. Breathe for me. He took roof tiles from their home and used it to weigh down the bodies. And the police took those roof tiles that they found on Derek and Eileen's bodies and said, hmm. And they slapped him in the face with them. They they did. (laughs) That's actually how they tested it. Because they didn't even need to call forensic experts at this point. They knew it was a match. I can't believe I know. It's just, it's ridiculous. After getting all this evidence, they go back and question Roger and are like, hey, we have you. We know what you did. Just The jig is up. The Roger. jig is up. And he tells them that he planned out their murders with a checklist of 14 things that he couldn't forget to do. Like he physically wrote Not me this down. A checklist of 14 things I need to do. <laughs> he physically wrote them down on a piece of paper and was like, I can't forget to do this or this or this. And one of the items that were on it were I can't forget to take the dirt from my own damn house and bring it to my parents. <laughs> yes. Who are dead in a ditch. Yes. And I need to put the dirt, which is evidence, in the- what the It was that, it was cleaning the car and just which the, he didn't do. Which he didn't do at all. Like, so it's like, what was this checklist for? For what? For nothing is what it was for. They discover on November 13th, Roger had attacked his mother when she was home alone in their home. Oh my God. He hit her eight times in the head with a meat mallet. Oh, do you imagine just like... Staring your child who you raised and put all of your life into, staring them in the face as they attack you with a meat mallet. I couldn't. It's just, I can't fathom. literally despicable. Like, I... And it just hits more when you know that she is such a charitable person. Yeah, like, what in the world did she do to be given this disgusting fate? Nothing. She didn't observe it. Roger had done that after he was out drinking and he came home asking for money. And when she refused, he attacked her. So did he write the checklist of 14 things like before or after he was drinking? Because like, is this premeditated or did he do it like on a whim because he was pissed? He did it before. 
So he, he knew it was going to happen at some point. He just broke at that point yes. and did it maybe sooner than he thought he would or something. Yes. I imagine all of this not getting what he was so used to being given and being mm-hmm. spoiled really led him to this point And this pushed him over the edge. Jeez. His father was actually out having a drink. And we, right. And you said that people, his last known location. Was yeah, was the pub. So yeah. when he got back, Roger attacked him. And hit him ten times in the head near the garage. He loaded the bodies in the car and drove them to the woods, which was only a few miles away, and buried them. Oh, my God. He tore up the bloodstained carpets and probably burnt some of the murder evidence. Because if you remember, that recent fire had the carpet, their clothes, so... I can just imagine this fool running around in the middle of the night, like everything that he an idiot into that fire. Exactly. Yeah. It also became more evident to police that Roger was a suspect and probably had something to do with the murder when he told them conflicting stories to explain the disappearance. What do you mean? Like first they were on vacation, and I guess he just kept adding more or switching around details that made them think. This isn't consistent for someone who's living with them. You'd think you would know. Yeah, like, why don't you know that your parents are in X location at what time? Like Exactly. And I can imagine when they asked him when they would return, he got a little shaky. Uh, Never. An idiot, yeah. Roger was charged with murder after admitting to killing his parents and telling them this whole story. But during trial, he denied murder because of diminished responsibility. Oh my god. It is just like a spoiled to admit to diminished responsibility when you straight up murdered your parents. I can't. Exactly. And it's that frustrating too when police do hear this whole story. I can imagine that this is just a spoiled kid. Like yeah. a spoiled child. They're absolutely done with him. They're like, cool, cool. Yeah. Um, I hope you understand you're not going to be spoiled in prison. Exactly. He was found to be a pathological liar during trial. That adds up. And what was really funny I had to mention was that according to Murderpedia, a defense witness described him as an inadequate psychopath. <gasps> not even good enough to be classified as a psychopath with the Ted Bundys of the world. Exactly. Just inadequate as hell. Inadequate is the most beautiful way to describe him because I just keep going back to taking the dirt from his own damn house and bringing it to the woods, which like the whole point of burying somebody in the woods. At a second location. The whole point of a second location (laughs) is to get rid of, is to diminish the the evidence at the first location. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I agree. He's an inadequate psychopath. An inadequate psychopath. And it was honestly the best way they could have described him. On December 6, 1994, just a year and some months after he murdered his parents, the jury convicted him of life imprisonment. They were like, listen, he did it. No use wasting any more time on it. Exactly. Quickly. Guess how, mu- get guess this how long they took. inadequate psychopath behind bars. And guess how long they took? 30 seconds. Two hours. <gasps> close. Close. <laughs> <laughs> so close. I mean, it was clear wow. to them from the start after hearing all this evidence and just the life that he led that he did this. He had every intent of doing this. And actually, after they went to search the home for the second time, 
or not the second time, they went to search the home after they heard Roger's story. They found his checklist. So he had left it in the home. And there you have it, folks. There is 14 things to check off your list on how to be an inadequate psychopath. Thanks for listening. You can follow us on Instagram at the Chalkline Pod, Twitter at the Chalkline Pod, and check out our YouTube channel. The link is in our Instagram bio. Tune in next Thursday for another story.